Hey, Corey. Today, I want to talk about one number, 16.6. All right. That's cool. A little arbitrary, but cool. It's not arbitrary. That's the percentage point drop in units affordable to very low-income renters from 2010 to 2017. And it's the focus of a new report we just worked on here at Freddie Mac called Diminishing Affordability Inescapable. Uh, So that's a pretty big drop. All right. Let's do it. Let's talk about 16.6. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast. I'm Steve Guggenhoff. And I'm Corey Aber, and today we're going to talk about Steve's favorite number, 16.6, and what it means. Back in the studio today is Kevin Burke, a research analyst here at Freddie Mac and the lead author of the paper, Diminishing Affordability, Inescapable. Welcome back, Kevin. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So in this paper, I think the premise is interesting in that a lot of people think about affordability as a big city issue. And, uh, and you were able to look at this a lot more broadly. Um, maybe you can start out, though, with the national picture, and then we'll dive in a little bit deeper. Sure. So um, on a national level analysis, what, what we try to do is track uh, the affordability of multifamily units throughout time from 2010 to 2017. Particularly, we were interested in multifamily rental units that are affordable to very low-income renters. Uh, so these are renters who make... of the area median income. And so what we found is in 2010, about 55.7% of these multifamily rental units were affordable to very low-income renters. But it was a pretty striking difference in 2017 where we found that this rate had dropped from 55.7% all the way down to 39.1%. And that is the 16.6 percentage drop that Steve had mentioned earlier. So, so what caused that big drop? It, it's one of those things, that it's a little bit difficult to say for sure. Any type of analysis like this, there are many moving parts. Um, we're, we're using primarily census data. So that's just all survey data. And, and, and so we really can't like control for specific variables. In any case, there's probably a few different drivers. But really, they all come back to one thing, and that is that rent has grown much faster than income over this period. That's certainly something that we've covered a number of times, and, and is that rent continues to outpace incomes. And, and certainly, we talk about things like uh, a shortage of new supply and uh, a demand for rental units and how that flows through and affects these things. In this paper, we do that, and we look at the metro level as well. Do you want to highlight a market? Sure. So we ran the analysis on uh, almost every metropolitan area in the country. Uh, We don't have data available for all of them, but the vast majority of them we were able to capture. Uh, we, We did find that, similar to the national level analysis, the vast majority of metros did experience worsening affordability. Uh, specifically about 85.9% of metros saw a reduction in the percentage of units that are affordable to very low-income renters. One metro that stuck out to us a lot was Austin. And the reason for this is just that Austin saw very explosive growth from 2010 to 2017. 
It was actually the the fastest growing metro of the top 50 in the country. Uh, th- there were some smaller metros that grew faster, but um, of all like the most prominent metros, Austin was the leader. What was interesting is Austin also saw a very large drop in its rental stock uh, of, of affordable units or units affordable to very low income renters. Uh, specifically, in 2010, Austin had 66% of its units affordable to very low-income renters. But by 2017, this dropped all the way down to 31.5%. So in 2010, it started off having more affordable units than the nation. By 2017, it actually had declined so much that it had fewer than the nation overall. And I think that's interesting because I think as people think about Austin in general over this period, it's been an area of a huge amount of growth. It's got population growing, which is captured in the analysis, and that goes together with great employment growth, and we hear about the jobs moving into that area. And still, the housing market is becoming more difficult for low-income households. Yeah, that's right. Uh, We do see that, um, uh, like I said, Austin has experienced a ton of population growth, and uh, you know, one thing that has come along with that is the need to build more units. And so most of the units that are new construction are generally not going to be affordable to very low-income renters. And this contributes to the fact that uh, their percentage of affordable units dropped by so much. So, Kevin, when you look at the, uh, the population growth, and, and Steve, you talked about uh, you know, job growth, uh, I'm assuming that a lot of the new population coming into the town is probably on the higher income scale. And so a lot of the new construction is built deliberately to serve that part of the market and not so much is built, you know, maybe tax credit properties that really do serve deliberately very low income renters. Yeah. And I think that goes together well with the point that Kevin just made that if you're looking at the percents as you add more to the higher income area, part of the distribution, that makes the lower end of the distribution less by nature. And that is part of what gets captured in that measure. So that certainly is an effect. And and as you say, um, I'm sure tax credit properties are being built there, but keeping up um, with just subsidized units like that is difficult. So, Kevin, that, so that's a good picture of Austin. And so Austin, right, you said one of the fastest growing metros. And it, the trend in Austin that we've seen, is that – so that's the case nationally and, and right, uh, maybe for other smaller metros as well, slower growing metros, but still you're, you're seeing this? Yes. We do see this trend uh, not just for Austin but for uh, most fast growing metros. And, you know, really the um, – The most powerful takeaway from this paper, really, is when we examine the link between population growth and affordability. So there's many studies out there that have shown uh, affordability over time, and there are many different ways of, of, um, of conveying it. So there's been a lot of research into um, change in rental burden over time. There's been a lot of research just into how rent and income are are growing at different rates. But we think that really the value in this analysis is looking at how population growth is linked with affordability. And so we do find that, uh, like, like I said, the faster growing metros are losing affordable, affordable units at a much faster pace than the nation. And we also find that slower growing metros are experiencing the opposite. 
they are generally losing units. So in a sense, it's not the true opposite, but the rate of decline is uh, much, much lower than that of fast-growing metros and also just slower than the national average, too. So, so a slower-growing metro like you know, my old hometown, Providence, Rhode Island, might, might uh, have you know, greater affordability percentage than, than Austin or Denver. That's correct. For Providence, we did find that from 2010 to 2017, uh, the percentage point drop in VLI affordability was 6.5%, uh, which is not good, but it is considerably better than the national average of a 16.5 percentage drop. Yeah, and what was the population growth during that time? Like Corey said, uh, Providence was a slow-growing metro over this time, and so it only grew by uh, 1.2%. Which, um, compared to the national average, is pretty low. National average is uh, 5.3%. So it seems like that there is that relationship, whether you look at the high end of the distribution or the low end of the distribution, uh, where population growth is, you know, going together with um, drops in affordability. That's right. And so, uh, in our report, we we looked at the top 50 metros, and. Um, we, we broke it out into the 10 slowest-growing metros, the 10 fastest-growing metros, uh, and then just the, also included the 30 in the, in the middle. And in the report that's available on our website, on page 7, there's a scatter plot showing the, the very evident relationship between population growth and change in uh, affordability. So the line is um, pretty steeply uh, downward-sloping. And we ran some uh, statistical analysis to find whether this, uh, like how statistically significant this relationship is. And what we found is that it certainly is. And the probability of observing a trend uh, that is this extreme or greater is about seven, one in 7.1 million. So we can say with, uh, essentially with certainty that this relationship exists. Uh, the, the point of this analysis was not to show a causal relationship. Um, showing a causal relationship is a lot more difficult than just simple correlation. And there's um, there's a lot of variables you need to hold constant, which, given the data that we have, isn't really possible. But we think that it does make a lot of intuitive sense. I mean, if, if you are in a fast-growing area, if you have a lot of people moving in and there's a lot of new units that need to be built, like we said earlier, a lot of those new units are only affordable to people who are making much higher incomes than uh, 50% of the median. And if you do have enough people uh, entering a metro, then naturally the demand for multifamily rental units increases, especially since many of these people moving in are renters. So what we find is that we have all these new units coming online that are relatively expensive, and even a lot of the older units are uh, the, the rents are increasing because of the higher demand. You know, and, and it's interesting looking at that uh, really great scatter plot. Is that um, you know, if I'm remembering correctly, right? Some of the those uh, uh, metros sort of at the top left of the plot, right? Older cities. Uh, maybe higher barrier for entry to build to build new uh, 
a little bit harder to grow maybe. And some of those that are faster growing are also sort of well known as lower barrier for entry, uh, you know, easier to build markets. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, I, I think that's largely accurate. Many of the slower growing metros, they are in the Northeast and um, many of them are very big and you know might not have like a whole lot of room to grow. Um, look at something like Chicago. I mean, that, that's one of the slowest growing metros of the top 50. And with, with the other slow growing ones, it I, I mean, it, it's lost affordable units, but it hasn't been as bad as the national average and faster growing metros. Uh, but then when we look at the faster growing ones, many of them are in Texas. Um, one of the metros is Houston. Houston has experienced a lot of growth, but actually, of all the top 10 fastest growing metros, Houston has actually experienced um, lesser affordability problems compared to its fast growing peers. But And, and I like your question, Corey, in that uh, it kind of points back to the, um, to the title of the paper, you know, diminishing affordability, inescapable. So whether it's an area that's hard to develop or whether it's a growing area or whether it's a, an area that it's easy to develop or hard to develop, all you know, affordability is becoming an issue everywhere. And, uh, and there are different factors you can look across and, uh, and it's still growing and it's just, grow- it's just becoming a bigger issue um, with population growth as we just spoke about. I think it's very important that we're able to identify this relationship with, between population growth and, and affordability because population growth is generally seen as a very good thing for a municipality. Uh, so like, you know, for any, any city, any town, any state, uh, generally the, you know, the more population growth, the better for many things. So, you know, population growth will increase economic output. It will improve the tax base. But I, I think with analysis like this, for these cases, we also have to uh, consider the effect that population growth has on something like housing. Uh, so while for many metros, uh, yeah, yeah, population growth is seen as um, an economic blessing, it does have some negative effects. And in this case, we found namely housing. So if your population is growing very quickly, that's great, but you should still focus on, or you, you should be cognizant of the effect of population growth, because if you're in a very fast-growing area, you, um, you know, I mean, results vary across metros, but at the very least, you're at higher risk of um, affordable housing loss. And it's going to be really interesting, I think, to see uh, the next study a decade on, right? Um, now that we're seeing, seeing some of these cities growing really fast, losing affordability, uh, what are they going to do about it over the next 10 years? And, and uh, the, uh, the challenge is inescapable for now, but are, will there be things that happen, be it innovative construction, uh, you know, maybe some some other other methods over time. You know, maybe that uh, turns the tide. That's a great point, Corey. And uh, you know, it goes together well with uh, other conversations that we've had on the podcast, and uh, certainly the changes in how building is done and how modular uh, construction can be helpful is one of those pieces. And I think there's a number of other things. And certainly, we're always uh, studying the housing market and affordability, and Kevin's a big part of that. So uh, thanks for being here today, Kevin. Yeah, thank you for having me back on. 
All right. And we look forward to having you on again when the next paper comes out and, and more after that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast. If you're interested in more, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, and subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud.